this episode, we talk about some of the contentious events of last week, including the presidential debate and Trump's COVID diagnosis. We also talk about the lack of happiness in our culture and how we as individuals can lead a more joyful life. My name is Jacqueline, and I'm just an American. So just when we think that 2020 can't get any crazier, it proves us wrong. Last week was a pretty wild one. The week started with a very contentious presidential debate between President Trump and former Vice President Joe Biden. It was a debate that so many Americans, most Americans, I think, walked away from pretty disgusted and just feeling really bad about the entire situation. The biggest talking point that so many in the media and the pundits were sharing was basically that it was such an ugly display that the American people were actually the biggest losers in the whole situation. Fast forward a few days and the president of the United States, Donald Trump, and his wife, Melania, were diagnosed with COVID. And what's really interesting to me sometimes is when two situations happen so close to each other, when two situations are juxtaposed next to each other and you're able to look at them and kind of compare them, it really is eye-opening. And one of the things that was really eye-opening for me was to see how so many of the same people who were clutching their pearls about just how ugly and terrible the debate was between our two candidates, just a few days later, were basically reacting with glee and excitement and pretty vile responses to the fact that the president of the United States was diagnosed with COVID-19. Now, there were some notable exceptions. There were people like Rachel Maddow who did ask for people to send up prayers for the president and the first lady. And that was nice. Um, But unfortunately, she was the minority. And there were so many people on the left who said that they were happy, who said that they were that he deserved what he got, that he deserved to get sick. And there was more than one blue check mark on Twitter who openly said that they hoped that the president died. Now, when I talk about the blue check marks on Twitter, for those who are not familiar with Twitter, it takes a certain sense of credibility to become someone that gets blue check marked on Twitter. You have to be somebody who is considered somewhat of a public figure. You have to be somebody who has a resume. They don't just give blue check marks to anybody. I don't have a blue check mark on Twitter. And so when I say blue check marks, the reason I bring that up is because it is not just random Twitter trolls who are saying these things, okay? I don't give a whole lot of credibility or credence to the fact that there are some people in this country who are, you know, living in their parents' basements in the middle of nowhere who are just on Twitter all day sending out hate. That's not who I'm talking about. When I talk about these people who have these reactions, These are people who work for major news organizations. These are people who are writers, people who are so-called journalists, celebrities, staffers from prominent political figures on the left. And I was going to put together a compilation of some of the things that people said, but I decided against it because honestly, if you are somebody who wishes death or celebrates an illness of another human being because you don't like that person's politics, you deserve to be ignored. That is not somebody whose voice should be elevated. So I am not going to be elevating those people. But I think, as I mentioned, seeing these two events put next to each other so close together, it really is interesting to me. Because on the one hand, we watch this contentious debate 
where these two candidates are really going at each other. They're interrupting each other. Yes, Trump interrupted Biden a lot. But if you watch the debate, Biden interrupted Trump many times as well. You see them throwing insults at each other. And people are just like, oh, this is so terrible. This is so ridiculous. I can't believe that our political figures are doing this. They really should be better. And then those same Americans who are so devastated about the insults get on social media and they start hurling insults at other Americans, other human beings with whom they have political disagreements with. We elect our leaders, guys. And, you know, for all of the talk about how ugly the world of politics has become and how nasty our political discourse has become, it has become that way because we as Americans have become that way. There is this kind of theory that the reason why things in this country are so ugly is because the world of politics is so ugly and it has trickled down to us as average everyday citizens. I actually don't think that that is true. The world of politics has always been ugly. It's so interesting when you read about history and all the way back to George Washington and you see the way that the politicians talked about each other, the games that they played, the op-eds and anonymous op-eds that they would put in newspaper articles about their political opponents. And they used to get nasty. But the difference was that the average citizens would stand back and kind of say, OK, that is the world of politics. And then there is the real world where we, yes, the politics are important. The policies and the direction of the country are very important. But you are my friend. You are my brother. You are my neighbor. And there are things that transcend politics. You are not an evil person because you believe in different things than what I believe in. And today we look at it and we say, oh, you know, the Trump's rhetoric that has really brought down the rhetoric in the country. And I simply don't think that that is true. I think that one of the reasons why our political rhetoric has gotten so bad is because we as Americans have sunk down so low. We are the ones who not only allow our politicians to get away with it, but we actually are encouraging them to do so. When Joe Biden, in the middle of a presidential election, refers to the president of the United States, the sitting president, as a clown, as a racist, and he tells him, just shut up already, that is is something that he does because he knows that his base is fine with that. They are comfortable with that. And sure enough, they are celebrating that. And they're sitting at home going, yes, I am so glad that he said that. And the truth is, is that Trump supporters are doing the same thing. When Trump insults his opponents, his supporters are sitting at home going, yes, good. I'm glad that he went after him. That is just the truth. And so that's why when we step back from that debate and it's like, oh my gosh, that was so ugly and that was was so terrible. And then four days later, some of the same people who are just like, oh, that Trump was so awful during that debate. I now hope, oh, good. He's got COVID. He's got this disease that's potentially deadly. Good. I hope he dies. Um, yeah, not so much. Now, I know that a lot of people justify that reaction because they feel that, well, Trump's policies are responsible for the deaths of over 200,000 Americans. And I think that that is actually a really just 
oversimplification of the whole situation of COVID. And I actually also believe that it is a very intellectually dishonest way to look at it. The whole coronavirus pandemic is something that has been highly politicized by Democrats in order to attack Republicans and particularly in order to attack Donald Trump. The United States, you know, everyone touts the fact that, oh, we have the highest number of COVID deaths. Okay, well, first of all, you would have to believe the numbers coming out of communist China, for example, in order to be able to confidently make that claim. But even putting that aside, we do not have the highest death rate per capita. We are like number 10. And every country that is has a worse death rate per capita than we do, we are talking about first world countries. We are talking about European countries, Western developed countries, not third world countries. And then, oh my gosh, the United States isn't there. Democrats have made this assertion that if if Donald Trump would have reacted better or done things better, that basically, I mean, people have said, oh, 200,000 people would be alive today. They have asserted that, oh, there would be no COVID deaths. But even if you are a more reasonable person and you say, okay, no, of course there would be COVID deaths, but you know, maybe if he handled things better at the beginning, there would be less COVID deaths. Even if you believe that, which that's a hypothetical world that we don't live in and there's no way for us to know if that is true or not. But even if you're someone who says, look, I disapprove of how he handled this, I don't think that you can look around the world and see how every single country in the world has been hit by this, how every country has been affected, some worse than others, some did fared better than others. I don't think that you can look at every country in the world and just say, oh my gosh, Everything about our response is solely on the shoulders of Donald Trump. People justify feeling happy or excited about the fact that Trump got COVID because they feel like it's karma. They say, oh, he downplayed it. He, you know, oh, he didn't wear his mask. And he, you know, just kind of made fun of people who do wear masks and everything. The truth is that there are people who have taken COVID very seriously who have been diagnosed with COVID. There are people who have not taken it that seriously who have been diagnosed with COVID. I remember back over summer when Andrew Cuomo came out and said that it, one of the surprising statistics in regards to the people, I think it was like the maybe May, that the end of May, beginning of June, um, that he said one of the surprising statistics was that about 60% of their positive cases at that point were people who reported to be quarantined and really be taking it seriously. So, and, and when you look around the world, several world leaders have contracted COVID. Celebrities have contracted it. Uh, Chris Cuomo on CNN, for instance, contracted it. Does that mean that they were all not careful? Does that mean that they were all irresponsible? Of course not. Nobody would say that. Here is what it comes down to. If you are somebody who wishes death or wishes illness, or even if you don't wish it, but you are excited or happy about somebody, a fellow human being becoming ill because you disagree with that person's politics, that says a lot more about you than it does about the person that you're talking about. And I think that when we look at this situation, when we look at the rhetoric, the political discourse in this country, the cultural discourse in this country, when we look at on social media, how people talk to each other, how people discuss ideas and how quickly so many people resort to personal 
ad hominem attacks when engaged in a discussion about politics, about culture, about things that are going on in the world. When we see that, how can we then turn around in good faith and say, oh my goodness, I just cannot believe how Donald Trump talks to his political opponents. I cannot believe how Joe Biden acted during that debate. How can we say that? We are the ones who chose these people. And here's the truth. If they believed that the American people, if they believed that the voters would be turned off by that rhetoric, they would not use that rhetoric. They use that rhetoric because they know that their voters are perfectly comfortable with it. I don't actually think that our reckoning in this country that is needed has to do with our politicians. I think that it has to do with ourselves a lot more. I've often said when it comes to politics and when it comes to the way that people behave when they are discussing politics, that behavior is more of the symptom. It is not the underlying disease. If you are a good and moral and decent person, then you are going to behave as a good and moral and decent person when you are talking about politics, including with people that you disagree with, even if you disagree with them vehemently. If you are somebody who has who is rude, if you are somebody who is just unhappy or uncivil or a lot of other words that I could use to describe, but if you are somebody who behaves that way just in life in general, then you're going to act like that when you are talking about politics. So I really do think that this isn't about the politicians. I think it is about us as everyday average citizens. You know, one of the reasons why I started this podcast and why I called it I'm Just an American is because I wanted to talk about so many things that are happening in our world and in our culture and in our political atmosphere from the perspective of an average American. When you turn on the TV, you get the perspectives of politicians and pundits and journalists. You get the perspectives of people who are just immersed in that world. The truth is, is that there is a gap. There is a difference between the people who are immersed and live and work and breathe in that world of politics and the average American who is paying attention and trying to be informed, but you know, I had to work my full-time job today or I had to homeschool my kids today or I had to clean my house and go grocery shopping and do all of these other things. And you know, I pay attention and I try to watch the news and read articles and just be informed, but I'm busy and I have things going on. So when I'm looking at all of this situation and when I'm talking about this stuff, I really am coming from the perspective of an average American and I'm talking to my fellow average Americans. And yes, I talk a lot about politics and things that are going on in the world because it's important. But the reason that I feel like I have to talk about all these political things is because it is so connected. All of these things are so connected, politics and culture and our belief systems and how we live our lives and the decisions that we make in our individual lives. All of these things are connected. People sometimes like to say, oh, you know, Twitter is not real life. Social media is not real life. And there is truth to that. I think that there are a lot of things that happen on social media that are very disconnected from reality. But one of the things we have to remember is that these are real people. The things that are posted, the things that are said, these are real people. And when you go on social media and you behave in a way that maybe you would be too embarrassed or too ashamed to behave in your real life, it doesn't matter. It doesn't it doesn't erase that shame or that embarrassment because oh, I'm on social media and I'm anonymous. That is still you. That is still what you are putting out into 
the world. And I think that what we are seeing right now is an atmosphere of just so much anger and resentment and bitterness. And I think that that is being expressed very hotly in how we talk about politics. And I think that the reason for that is because so many of the things that are happening in our world right now are obviously connected to the world of politics because it's all connected. But so, for example, we have all been, every single American has been affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. Even if you personally have not been affected by the disease itself, you've been affected by the lockdown. And far more people have been affected, obviously, by the detrimental impacts of the lockdowns than by the illness itself, even though many people have been affected by the illness. But every single American and pretty much every single person on planet Earth has been negatively impacted by this situation. And so we are all, for many reasons, pretty unhappy, whether you are unhappy because you've been ill or you lost a loved one or whether you weren't happy because you lost your job or your income or because your children are struggling through lack of education or because you are having a hard time just with the complete lack of normalcy that has existed over the last eight months or so. There are so many different aspects of this that are making people very unhappy. And so one of the things that people do when they're unhappy is they lash out. That is a part of this entire situation. And then adding to it, we see, of course, the civil unrest and all of the things that are going on when it comes to race relations and that conversation. And there's just this general feeling of anger and anxiety and pain and unhappiness. Depression and suicide rates are up. People are having conflict with other people in their lives, whether they disagree on politics or whether they disagree on how their relatives and friends are reacting to the COVID pandemic. According to the CDC, 40% of respondents to a particular study reported feeling increases in anxiety and depression. 13% of those who responded said that they reported an increase in substance abuse to deal with the stress of everything going on this year. 10% of the overall groups seriously considered suicide. And 25% of people aged 18 to 25 reported that they seriously considered suicide over the course of this coronavirus pandemic. People are really unhappy right now. And it is manifesting itself into all different areas of our lives. And one of the things that I think we all need to kind of take a step back and look at is this just concept of happiness and where we are when it comes to kind of how we're feeling about everything that is going on. And we see it everywhere we turn, right? This is the big joke is that, oh my gosh, 2020 is just a terrible year and we just need to get through it. We just need this year to be over so that we can get into a new year and hope that in 2021 things turn around and they start getting better. Now it's totally fine to joke about that. But the problem I think is that too many people are actually saying that in a somewhat serious way. We just need to get through this year. We just need to get through this pandemic. We just need to, you know, get through this election. And if the person that I want to win wins, then I'm going to be happy and everything is going to be fine and go back to some sense of normalcy. The problem with this philosophy 
is that we are connecting our happiness to things that are completely outside of our control. One of the most famous prayers that exists is the serenity prayer. And whether or not you are a religious person, it is something that I am sure that you have heard before. The serenity prayer goes like this. It says, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardships as the pathway to peace, taking, as he did, the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will, that I will be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. Amen. Now, the most famous lines of this prayer are those first few where it says, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. This is a philosophy that I truly believe is the key to a happy life. Just this simple philosophy, these simple lines are the key to a happy life. And I think it's something that is beneficial to people, even if you're not a religious person. Just having that recognition that there are things in this world that I cannot change and that I simply have to accept. There are things in this world that I can change and I need courage in many cases to do so. And that it does take a profound amount of wisdom to be able to know the difference. Okay. We, there are so many things and freedoms that we have in this country. So when we look at all of the challenges that are being faced this year, right? So maybe you are unhappy because of the coronavirus pandemic, right? Who isn't? Okay. So if you are somebody who is unhappy because you're not happy with the way that the government has handled things, that you don't want these lockdowns to continue, that you think that the government has interfered in your life, well, what can you do about it? Okay. You can vote. You can protest. You can take a look around you and say, okay, what can I do? What do I have the freedom to do right now? And I'm going to engage in that type of behavior or those type of activities and focus on what you can do and not on what you can't do. If you are somebody who feels like you're frustrated because your fellow citizens are not taking this virus seriously, the only thing in this entire world that we have control over is our choices how we behave, how we act, and how we react to the circumstances that we find ourselves in. That is the only thing that we have control over. Other than our vote in November, we have no control over who the next president of the United States is. Other than making decisions to keep ourselves safe from any illness or any net negative thing that is in the world, other than our choices and our personal choices, we have no control over what happens, what our government chooses to do, what our fellow citizens choose to do. And so much, I think, of the unhappiness that we see around us is in the fact that as human beings, we have this tendency to connect our joy to all of these circumstances that we don't have control over. When we do that, we are bound to be disappointed and we are bound to be unhappy because we just are not able to control any of these things and we are just along for the ride. So when things are really good, then that's great. Oh, and everybody's happy and everybody's joyful. But when things in the country are really bad, when something really challenging happens, then all of a sudden everybody's miserable, everybody's angry, and it now we open the door to allow it to invade every aspect of our lives. 
We are fed this line that self-esteem is the most important thing, that you are perfect just the way you are. You are enough just the way you are. We hear this all the time, right? That's the new tagline is, oh, you are enough. And I know that the intentions behind it are really good that, you know, you're trying to make people feel good about themselves and have self-confidence. But the reality is, is that we all have things in our lives that we can improve. And when you tell somebody you are great just the way you are and you're enough and you're good enough and, and there's nothing wrong with you, then what you are doing is you are telling that person that nothing bad in their life is their fault. And I've talked about this in previous episodes that that is something that comes across as a compassionate message, but I don't actually believe it's compassionate. And this is the reason why, because we all have room for improvement. And what we really need to be doing is we need to be recognizing in our own lives and we need to be teaching others what is it in your life that you have control over? What is it in your life that is a problem that you have? Something that you're unhappy with that you have the ability to fix. When you are able to recognize what that is, then you can find a solution and you can make your life better. On the flip side of it, what is happening in your life or in the world that is making your life difficult that you have absolutely no control over? And that is most of the stuff. I mean, that's just the reality. We don't have control over whether or not a virus spreads in our community. We don't have control over natural disasters. We don't have control other than our vote and other than, you know, if you want to protest or run for office or sign a petition or whatnot, you know, there's all of those things you can do. But at the end of the day, once those things are done, we don't have any control over who our fellow citizens are going to vote for and who they are going to put into office in control of this country. There are so many things in the world. We don't have control over what our neighbors do, whether they follow the COVID guidelines the way that we may want them to or not want them to. We don't have any control over that. And so when our focus is on all of those things that we don't have control over, we're going to be frustrated and we're going to be angry. And that is, I think, a driving force as to what is making people so unhappy. What our culture is teaching people is the exact opposite of the serenity prayer. They are teaching people that they should be obsessed with all of the things in this world that we have no control over and you should be angry about it and you should be bitter and resentful about it. And then all of the things that you actually do have control over and you actually could fix, you should just pretend that that doesn't exist and ignore all of that and look at that and say, oh, no, 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 that's not in my control. The elimination of the idea, the attack really on the idea of any semblance of personal responsibility in our culture is devastating and it is having devastating results on the lives of individual people. I think another part of our current culture that is leading to so much unhappiness and anger among people is the fact that politics has infused itself into every single aspect of our lives. As I mentioned earlier, back in you know the days of George Washington, when politics was still a very ugly world and it was just as contentious, really, as it is today, the difference was that politics had a place in our life, but it was not in every aspect of the lives of the people. Today, we don't see that. It just seems that there is no place that Americans can turn to escape the contentiousness of politics. We used to be able to say, okay, yep, you turn on the news and you hear all about that, but you know what? I'm going to turn it off and I'm going to watch a movie or I'm going to go to a movie or I'm going to go to a Broadway show 
or I'm going to go to a baseball game or a party at a friend's house. I'm going to see my neighbor and chit chat about the weather. And all of those things would be devoid of politics. Today, nothing is devoid of politics. Okay, you turn on a ball game and you are treated to the political views of the opponent of the you are treated to the political views of the players. You turn on Netflix or social media and you are bombarded with recommendations of movies that promote certain political messages or clicks. Oh, click on this article that promotes a certain political message. You can't even have a discussion about the weather anymore or about fires or about anything that natural disasters that are happening without it devolving into a conversation about climate change. There is just nothing that we have anymore that that is something that brings us all together. It used to be the symbols of our country, things like the American flag, things like the national anthem, the idea of patriotism, where it's like, okay, yes, this country, you know, we have different ideas about the future of our country or the direction of our country, but we can all come together under the idea that America is a wonderful country, that it is our home and that we love it. We don't seem to be able to have that anymore either. Everything that connects us, everything that brings us together is slowly being taken away and it is slowly being infused with political contention. And then we wonder why we're so unhappy. We wonder why we're so stressed out all the time. There's no escape from it. These are all of the problems that we as American citizens have allowed to happen to us. The people who are in power in this country benefit when Americans are angry. That's the truth, okay? If you are angry, you are more likely to turn on the news and to turn on social media and to look and see what is going on. If you are angry, you are more likely to engage in social media, for instance, which is great for the social media companies. If you are angry, you are more likely to go out and vote, which is great for the politicians. We have to recognize as Americans that all of these powers that be have a motive to keep us angry. They have a motive to keep people unhappy. Our happiness cannot be based on things that are out there in the world. They cannot, it cannot be based on things that are outside of our control. We have to recognize that our joy in life is going to be a choice that it is not it cannot be based on circumstances that we find ourselves in because you know what throughout our lives we are going to find ourselves in great circumstances and we're going to find ourselves in crappy circumstances there are going to be things that are going to happen in the world that are going to bring themselves right to our doorstep it has happened to me many times when uh, my brother was in the military and was deployed to Afghanistan okay that was a situation that was happening in the world that found itself right at my doorstep Every single American and pretty much every person in the world has been directly affected by the coronavirus lockdowns throughout the country and the states and different places. We have all been affected by that. If our happiness and if our joy in life is based on things that are outside of our control and circumstances like that, then you're going to be unhappy because life is never going to be perfect. 
what this all comes back to and tying it all back to what I talked about at the beginning is that if we want to see our culture move in a more positive direction, if we want to see our politics move in a less contentious direction, that is going to start with us. It's going to start with us as individuals who are making a choice to rise above all of the ugliness, to make a choice to say, you know what? As a human being, I am not going to wish death on my political opponents because that's just wrong. And therefore, I'm just not going to do it. And I'm not going to fall into that. As individuals, we need to say, I'm going to put positivity and goodness out into the world and not hate and anger and resentment. Of course, I know what everybody's thinking that's listening to this. Yes, there is a place for righteous anger. Of course, there is. Yes, there is a place to fight hard for your beliefs. But you can do that while living up to standards that you set for yourself of good behavior and of keeping things at a certain level of human decency. That is what we need to get back to. And that's something that we have to make a choice as individuals. And as we make that choice as individuals, as we make that choice every single day of our lives, we will start to see the rhetoric in this country elevate. We will start to see the civility in this country get back to a place where we can all live side by side. We will start to see things get better. But it has to be a choice that each of us make as individuals and really as a culture and as a nation together. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and give it a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps each and every week. Also, please share this episode with a family member or friend so we can help spread the word. You can follow me on Twitter at JJNAmerican. You can also message the show by sending an email to JJ at I'm just an You can also follow me on Instagram at I'm just an American. Thank you for taking a moment out of your day to talk about happiness in our personal lives and in our culture. I'll be back next time for a deep dive into issues plaguing American life from the perspective of just an American. Music for this podcast was written and performed by Michael Beatty. You can find him on Twitter at Michael Beatty 3